You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Land Legacy Podcast with your hosts Adam Keith, Matt Dye. Another late night podcast for you guys. We've been hunting. Actually, I still have a little bit of face paint in the in the facial hair. Um, hunted tonight it's right in the middle of hunting season and we had a great response last week with our managing and what did we even title that <laughs> i don't even remember what we titled it <laughs> topography i know yeah. we talked all about topography terrain changes looking at topo maps and trying Tips to, to punching tags in terrain. hilly hilly, hilly terrain, terrain. Yeah. yeah yeah that was what it was and we had a great response a lot of people that were hunting in those areas that were really excited to hear some of our ideas and ways to manage around that. And we had one guy, before we say, before we start diving into this podcast, but one guy was from New York, and uh, just, this is for everybody, Um, he had property in the middle of the mountains of New York. Now you think, okay, there's got to be something about the terrain here that I can learn from or Some, find something a defining. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately for his case, what he was looking for wasn't there. When we looked at the topography, even though there was nasty looking, I mean, when I looked at the topo map, I was like, wow. Of, of surrounding areas. Of the surrounding, right. like half a mile away, there was mm-hmm. just lines almost stacked on top of lines. It was right. like steep, steep terrain. That's some, that's some terrain there. But where he was at, it was very basically plateauish there wasn't mm-hmm. much change at all and so in that situation it was like even though i'm in terrain i can't really take advantage of any bottlenecks any saddles any any slopes or draws or anything like that so for his situation habitat management was the that's going to be the key to steering the deer throughout his property and that's what this week's podcast is about Correct. is using habitat improvements or or ways to steer deer on your property. And a lot of this stuff can be done right now, even during season. And that should be really appealing because there's a lot of people who are getting re- reaching out basically and saying, hey, I got a buck pattern, you know, can I do this, can I do that, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, there's some things that you can do right now to the habitat 
And and when we say habitat, they're not huge, large-scale um, projects necessarily, but they're easy, simple techniques and little tr- tricks that you can do to put deer within bow range um, very easily and without a for, lot of effort and, and tools, very small tools. And for big properties, little properties, cattle properties, we've got yep. something like that for some of those guys. And uh, there's just a lot of stuff here that we can be doing right now to to just basically improve our chances of punching a tag. And, I, and we we said habitat, and really what it, what it comes down to is the phrase property architecture. And this summer, Adam, you and I, we went down to um, the Quality Deer Management National Convention and did a uh, basically a session on property architecture. We broke down two properties and talked about a lot of the same you know things we're going to cover today um but on a larger scale anyhow broke down these these techniques that anybody can use it, it doesn't matter your property size it doesn't matter really what tools you have because they're pretty much super super simple to do to me this is kind of and minimal disturbance yeah for sure and there, another thing is like if you lay out a property let's just say you have your dream farm 500 acres and you're like wow okay this is i've got it and you lay out the most beautiful food plots and habitat native grasses and forbs everywhere that still doesn't mean you're going to harvest deer a lot of the techniques we're going to be talking about today are the little details the little tweaks if you will to you have a beautiful field but you're having trouble killing a deer or shooting deer out of it or getting them in range there's some techniques in this information we're going to give that gets those deer into range. There's always something you can do to tweak it and make a, a good spot great. Yeah, and I and I think it kind of takes me back. This is a little off off topic, but we were, we covered last week in hilly terrain and all these different things that you can do and and you know every property sets up differently. Just like this gentleman's from from New York that kind of branched us off into this week's topic, but it was. I go back to genetics class in college and like we would learn rules like in genetics you learned there was these rules that everything just kind of fell under and you had to learn those and then once you learned those at the end of the class the teacher was like okay next week we're gonna learn about the exceptions to those rules and then once you thought you had it it's like oh wait <laughs> You got to learn something else because, yeah. you know, when this happens, then this happens. And honestly, I feel like that's when we go to a property. It's like everything goes out the window. Again, like I think we talked about the other day. It's like there's no property that's like, okay, we do this, 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 A, B, C, D. Next property is A, B, C, D. It's more like A, F, N, Q. Times Z. Yeah. Divided by three. Times parentheses. The, there's yeah. never – you can't roots. manage – you can't manage properties – the exact like you, there's not a, a handbook that says okay once you once you get to this step do this step and then once you complete that step do this step there's always different things I mean you look you look at a, a property um, you know let's say it's along a, along a river it's got riparian it's got a floodplain and it's got steep terrain a bluff or a cliff and then it's got a plateau or, or shallow soil up top and you know versus great bottom ground you know along the river who knows but just in that one instance in a 40 acre property you have four different like ecosystems or things to consider mm-hmm. so that's why i don't like to say we get this question quite a bit um okay i own 100 acres how many acres should i have in food plots no 
It's like I, I or how many acres should I have in soybeans? How many acres should I have in clover? How many acres should I have in corn? There ain't no recipe. Yeah, it. it, it there's so many. There's so many variables that come into play, and so we always it's it's always best that we see the property. We're actually boots on the ground at the well, property, but it's. To me, overall, if you want our plan, our the way we consult, in a nutshell, let's just say habitat improvement. No, that's it. Let's get the habitat back to its native habitat and manage it to where all. This is the thing to me. I don't like to. I was thinking about this actually today. Is I don't like to say we're managing for big bucks when we go into a property. I want to. Basically, look at it as we're managing for improved habitat, and the benefit of improved what habitat is. is big bucks. Yeah, I, and that's that. Honestly, that just goes back to the idea of addressing the issue at the at core, hand. right? Yeah, uh, and, and that uh, that line of thinking goes back to the podcast talking about coyotes. And again, if you haven't heard that one, I encourage you to go out and listen to that one, download that one. Um, great perspective, I think. On coyotes, if you do issue. say so yourself. <laughs> I do say so myself. Yeah. yeah, but and but I mean it's the truth. Like we, if if the issue or whatever you know within a property is is X, you know that you're seeing in your deer herd, you know that could be poor fawn recruitment. Well, okay, let's look at the habitat. Okay, it doesn't have it. Let's improve the habitat. Go back right to the core and just address the issue, and the rest will follow. Mm-hmm. That's just nature. Yep. It's always trying. We're just trying to work with Mother Nature, not against her. Yep. So now that we've covered all that, let's go ahead and start getting property started. architecture. First off, a big update, and this—I oh. promise this leads into it. This it is a, a huge update for you guys. Um, he was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Seth Harker, a big part of the team here at Lana Legacy, and if you haven't already, go check out our YouTube page or our facebook page and we've uploaded a hunt with trace killing an ice buck on opening night of missouri archery season <laughs> look at that i just have my phone here and as you said youtube we got it we just got a comment on youtube oh, on the funny. video you're talking about oh awesome well anyway so go check it out let us know what you think and be prepared because the another new in i guess to build off of that seth punched his tag on his main hit lister on his farm, Rover. Very, very mature deer. Very been mature. After. I think he said seven is what he thought he was. So seven and a half Great year buck. old buck. Great hunt. And that's kind of what built this whole theme for this week was um, property architecture. We know we we talked about it. And <laughs> we, we, probably we dance around, we dance and, around property architecture all the time, but we haven't just sat down and done it. No, it's been like you get a sentence here or a line here each week, but mm-hmm. we, you haven't got the whole, the whole meal yet. And, and I think when, when we say property architecture, you know, we're not talking about, let's say a property is a hundred acres. We're not talking about dissecting that hundred acres, but it's actually like, okay, you have the property borders, but then you're zooming into a, a specific area and saying, I'm killing deer here because of this, 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 and this. And it could be terrain or it's the things that we're talking about today and the and the techniques that you can use. It could it's be the way you planted a fine food plot. Tune. Yes. Uh, it could be the way you've done some edge feathering. It could be all kinds of different stuff. So here we go. Dive so, on in. Yes. And well, let's, let's talk about Seth's 
Just oh, dive okay. in yeah. and explain yeah. Seth's hunt. So Seth's hunt was we have a a big beautiful bottom field that that we actually drive by all the time. Yeah. You drive the highway and you can see this bottom field and it's been I mean it's right off the highway. I'm trying to think. In the last couple of years it's been wheat. It's um, been like a, a wheat red clover yeah. kind of a mix. It was a hay mixture. And yes. he had orchard grass in part of it too, I think. Yes. Yep. And he actually used the government program to help offset yeah. the cost. But um, it's been a big bottom that you can see all the way through from the I, highway. I would say five acres or so. Probably. Something like yeah. that. And what he did was he busted that field up. So this is one way. If you're – I just think if you're trying to – if you're – if you've ever found yourself sitting on a big field and you've gone like, man, they come out from everywhere. I have no idea how to hunt it. Get Pay it? attention. No idea. No idea. <laughs> so anyway. Um, Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that's, a, so, that's a joke at 11 o'clock that just makes you laugh. <laughs> yeah. Sleepy silly. So yeah. It's been a long week. So his he busted this up. He planted, let's say it's five acres. He planted four and a half acres in sorghum sedan grass, which is growing, my gosh, it's 12 foot tall right now. Well, he planted it all and then came back and sprayed. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he sprayed a, a a very select portion of that, and what de- what made him? Well, I guess what determined what he sprayed is not what was in the the actual food plot that opening, but honestly, what was around, what the surrounding area told him the shape should be, and what we mean by that is, in that bottom is a river. And it's not a huge river. Well, you're, you're like, saying river. Let's call it a dry creek. <laughs> it's a dry creek. Well, but it's I, really I, wide. It's, it's wide, 70 yeah. yards wide. Yeah, it's just gravel. There's right. a little bit gravel of water, bar. but it's mainly just gravel. So that sits just to the north of this food plot. I mean, there's a 20-yard uh, strip of timber, bottom ground area. Then you have that river system, that 70-yard wide <clears throat> gravel bar. And then just beyond that, you have a large bluff that sits and overlooks that river. Mm-hmm. And that, plus the river and a bedding area further to the west beyond that bluff, is what determined where Seth sprayed that uh, sorghum sedan and where he did not and left it standing 12 foot tall. Yeah. So everything you got to, let's just, I guess, big picture here. Say so you're looking north, just dead straight ahead of you, off to your off to your left, to the west, 200, 300 yards away is a bedding area, a known bedding area that and he's And it pretty much comes all the way to the, to the creek, to the, the north, yes, north yes. side of the creek. This bedding area is a large area. And kind of because of that, because that bluff then that cuts in right along the creek, it that bedding area then tapers down and leads deer right to the creek. And then they're not going to go north because of that bluff. They're going to actually cross that river and then feed to that well i say feed in or come towards that bottom ground that bottom uh food plot they got the five acres but then on top of that what he did was okay you've got a plant that's 12 foot tall all around if you imagine a funnel from basically that bluff area that leads across the river to the edge of the food plot Seth, would you say it's more of a triangular shape? His food plot? Well, yeah, yeah what he sprayed. Yeah. It, Roughly. It's kind of a triangle, but it's got a long neck on it, so it yeah. might as well be a funnel as well. Yeah. We'll say from that, from where those deer enter because of that bluff, 
into the into the food plot. He then created a funnel shaped area that was sprayed so that Egypt I mean, that Sorghum Sedan is now gone. It's planted in a fall food plot mixture and great, highly palatable food. Like oats. I know there's a lot of brassicas in there, some turnips yeah. I'm sure. Um I don't remember what all what all it is. Um, it's it's coming in great anyhow yeah. and it's it screened matter, it off it, yeah i mean that is probably an acre and a half mm-hmm. if not a touch bigger of the entire five acres but the important part is it's the the shape of it the design of it is that funnel shaped and then the placement of the blind yeah so again we're going back 300 yards Basically, you have two, two funnels, areas. two funnels, yeah. but they they funnel together. So the little long neck part of the funnel is actually one's going straight, one funnel's going west, kind of northwest, and the other one's going east, basically. Mm-hmm. And the two little neck parts of them touch and feed it's, back out. It's kind of like areas. one of those uh, an hourglass, an hourglass. Yeah, like on, yeah. on if, you play with Yahtzee or whatever, yeah. or all those board games. It's an hourglass shape, yeah. basically. But half of it is a food plot, and half of it is a bedding area that's laid out because of the topography to be half of an hourglass shape. Right. And basically, because of that, the deer are close to bedding. Another huge benefit for early, early season, season is that it's next to a cool creek bottom, to where temperatures are always cooler. It there's shade a lot earlier. The winds there. are swirling. And the winds are swirling, and so that's why Seth has to hunt it on a north wind, and a stronger north wind. And yeah. so it's cooler. It's already a bedding area. It's already a sanctuary. Plus, it's got a great food source, so it's close to bedding. But it's the way it's all laid out because of the topography and the way that the way it all is laid out. Basically, yeah. the the funnel shape that just naturally are, are going to move deer, force deer through this area out into the into the food plot. And of course, he's got his. His uh, redneck, the bale blind, he's got that situated right there at the the portion where it kind of starts to funnel back out and spread out. So he knows, okay. So guess what? If a deer walks by, 30, it's in range. range. Exactly. And he can get in and out. Plus, they have the security from the standing sorghum sedan and hardly seen from the road, mm-hmm. if at all. It's a perfect storm. And it kind of laid out the QDMA architecture of that was very successful for him, and that's that's why we're doing and, that and this week. Rover, the Bucky killed, read the script and oh, he shot it at thirty yards. Ran he ran seventy maybe. maybe. Yeah, kind of made like a that. little loop. Yeah, and um, yeah, awesome hunt. So Excited. To- you'll have to check out the podcast or not the podcast. This is a podcast. You'll have to check out the social media pages and YouTube this week to watch that hunt unfold. You'll love it. So now, when we talk about property architecture one thing that i that i often i mean this is kind of one of the the main ones for me is because i hear this complaint a lot we deal with this in kansas i dealt with it tonight on the property that i hunted to where i'm hunting a large field Mm -hmm. now it's a crop field that i'm hunting it's it's alfalfa that's cut for hay and there's deer coming from everywhere and i'm literally and and unfortunately since i don't own it there's not much i can really do unless i consult with the landowner and ask if i can do this stuff yep but how many times have you heard Matt? Oh, they come from everywhere. It's really hard. You can't you can't kill those field but those field deer. They're really hard to 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 pattern and figure out where they're coming from. Because as you and I talked, a lot of times, especially in Kansas, it's like they go out to the middle and raft out there like a bunch of it's ducks. A, it's it's a duck situation. There's and 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 they know there's security out there. They can't be touched. 
you know, unless they're unfortunately poached from the road or something. Or get shot but, with a rifle, but yeah. that's only a few days of the year. Yeah. So. so they go out to the center, mill around, and stay out there. I'm sure there's beds and stuff all out there in the alfalfa. But right, they come from all these directions and find security in the center. But it, it's not it's not the fact that they go to the center that's the real issue. It's the fact that they come from all directions. You might have some that enter in the field 40 yards away, some that enter 80 yards away, or some that enter 160 yards away from your setup. And it's about putting all those deer, those three different trails that they're using to access that field, making sure that they all come to within range of your stand. That's the type of property architecture that we're addressing today. Mm-hmm. And it's the fine-tuning. So in that situation, with permission from the landowner, Adam, what's the, one of the first things that you find that you can do with great success? This is the thing that I love just because it's great for habitat as well, and that's edge feathering. Now, when we say edge feathering, we're just talking about cutting some trees the first 30 yards in from the field, dropping some trees. And when we drop them, I actually like to drop them parallel. If I'm trying to steer the deer, I'm going to drop the trees parallel with the with the field edge. And that way, we've got a big nasty tree laying on its side. Now we've pretty much thrown up a brush pile to where a deer's not going to walk through there. Nope. And so they're going to go around. But it's if like, you it's drop like a it cedar enough, board fence. Yeah. If you just do that all the way down, now we we've, we've blocked off let's say 50 yards and now is it's we just built a rock wall basically. Yeah. And so now we can catch them going around the ends. That's what I like. Now, not only is that benefiting for the hunting strategy, but it also, it's going to release some of that. You know how crops don't grow very well on the edge of a field? It's because those trees are taking the nutrients. It's the drip line effect. And so if you do that, you're going to release those trees. Early succession is going to grow up. It's going to be another, it's, it's creating an edge to where you're stepping down from tall trees, step down to kind of this brush early succession down in the field. So they're going to feel really comfortable around that, but you've now created great bottlenecks just by dropping these trees and strategically placing those openings in areas where you can access and hunt and get out of there without blowing the deer out. But you've got the deer now crossing and coming out on the field within range. And I think uh, here's a great thing that I've noticed um, to kind of keep in mind. When you are dropping these trees and you're and you're making these openings for deer to come in, don't neck them down too much. Yeah. Don't do that. I've seen... <laughs> don't um, put it into a, a five-yard... Yeah, st- that's not going to work out. No. That's not going to work out good at all. I've seen, like, dozer decks, places that have, you know, way open, you know, in the middle of the timber, or whatever, that's been cleared off, and then you pile up all the brush all against the side of the woods, and there's maybe 10 yards, even 20 yards sometimes. It's too much, too mm-hmm. close. Um, these dozer decks laid out and the deer just do not go through them. Um, so when you're considering these openings or gaps in the, in the places that you're not edge feathering or you're, or you're placing trees down that are not parallel to the field edge, make sure you've got room that deer will be comfortably moving in and out of, um, you know, if it's too close, you know, they're just, they're going to think that a predator is there to ambush them. It's a great ambush spot, but make sure they have the room. I mean, 40, 50 yards is, is, is perfect. It's perfect. It's like that, that happy medium ground. You don't want, you want them in range crossing, but you need to have them comfortable to move through their day and night. And you don't have to, I kind of like to, I, I like to do this gradually. 
is the first year I like to go in and drop a few trees. And it doesn't take much to steer a deer. And if you drop a few trees and you kind of watch that field during the summer months, this is a great time to, to kind of monitor where the deer are coming out. And you drop those trees and you're like, oh, there's still a few cutting through there. You can go in the next year and drop a few more trees. Sure. And it's just gradual. But doing that is just fantastic at steering deer. That's one of the quickest, easiest things you could do. And right now, this time of year, it doesn't take long to go in there with a chainsaw and just go, roam, 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 roam. And now, yeah. and now you've got a, a fence, basically. Right. And, you know, if, if you can't do that on that property... The other option is, okay, let's not think of a 30-yard stretch. Let's just drop a few specific trees. And, and if you really honestly want to steer the deer then and get them you know, within your – basically on the, on the trail that you're hunting is don't do it at the field edge because they basically are committed to that trail. You need to go back in the woods just a little bit, drop a tree or two on the trail that is going to take them, lead them out of range – and then force them to come on the trail that goes by your setup, mm-hmm. and make sure, and that that's a single tree or or two maybe, um, just enough that says eh, no, not that trail, this one. To me, I think of the Price is Right and Plinko. Do you remember Plinko? Remember that's where the they game, drop yeah. the chips it goes, down. It goes ding, 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 all the way down. Yeah. That's kind of how I picture deer movement in a lot of these places where there's really no. It's just closed canopy forest, open underneath. And they're going to a big field, like. And when you when you say this is this is before edge feathering, <clears throat> is yes. what you're imagining. Yeah, plinko, right. where it's just yes. they can bounce and go everywhere. They can, right, they can go here, they can go there, they can go. Why not? Yeah, take and, this trail because it's Monday. Take that trail because it's Friday. Yeah, D- no rhyme or reason. Yeah. But now, just picture that in the game of plinko or whatever, I've thrown out boards or whatever, and I've just funneled it. That's yeah. what we're talking about with this edge feathering. It's just to where we can really guide where the deer are going to come out at. Yeah, and and again, if you if you can't go large scale, hinging a tree or two, it has a, a great effect. But if you want to bump it up, and you have the permission to do so, or it's your property. Definitely encourage for the benefit of the habitat, benefit of the crops, edge feather the heck out of that. And that and why we're on edge. this topic of cutting trees or cutting brush and trying to get where the deer. your safety gear. Yeah, where's your safety gear? That's not where I was going. It was. How many times when we cut it, let's say in June or July, we go in to trim out a set and we cut all these trees down and then how often do we just leave them lay? We're do- basically doing the same thing. If we're cut very with trees of any size at all and we cut those trees to leave, leave them lay, that's basically what we've done in the middle of the forest. So what we like to do, another way, if we're in the middle of the forest, let's cut when we cut out those, those shooting lanes, let's grab all that brush drag it back and lay it parallel with the way we're walking into the stand. Now we've removed all the brush from that's out in front till we made a great easy path for the deer to use, but we made it more difficult behind us where we've walked up so where now deer are more likely to go in front of the stand and not downwind they behind they the stand. Exactly. They don't want to circle downwind. So that's no. just another thing you can do if you're in timber country and you're like, what What can I do to improve this? Where do I put these limbs? Just yeah. put them back behind your stand. And, yeah, sure, it may be a pain to drag them, but think of it as you're you're not only improving the chance of a deer walking in front of you, but you're helping to keep them from walking behind you. Sure thing. So, anyway, that's another thing. But back on the big field, so tonight on, on my hunt, I was sitting there looking at it. We could do edge feathering. Mm-hmm. And, and guide those deer into specific pockets where it's easier for us to go and hunt. 
for example, I don't want to do that in an area where I can't get to it and hunt. Chet and brother oh, yeah. and I were hunting oh, together yeah. tonight. We were looking at those deer pile down that point, and I told him, I said, there, it, there's no reason. Like, the deer know that I'm not going to go over there and hunt that because by the time I hike in and get to that spot, even if I shoot one, I have to blow the entire field out to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst strategy you can have is just, okay, well, it's dark. Let me let me blow them out of here, and I'll be back tomorrow. I, I hate that. I, I, I cringe. Yes. I don't want to howl like a coyote, and I don't want to do any of that stuff. I just want to, I just want to get out of there where they don't even know where I'm at mm-hmm. or know I was even there. Ninja. Yeah, I'm a ninja. So, anyway, re- uh, redneck ninja, gonna Judy chop him. <laughs> I and, give him a Judy. <laughs> so, that's just one thing. We've done the edge feathering. This has yep. also got fences around it because it's cattle country. Yep. So, we've talked about this on the Kansas podcast when we broke down that property. I've done all this edge feathering, and I've left a 50-yard gap. Now, in two spots of that 50-yard gap in the fence, I'm going to tie the top strand to the to the second to top strand, I'm just going to drop it down a little bit, make it easier for them to cross that fence. And it's that simple. <laughs> it's that simple. Just if you got an extra piece of wire laying around, wire it there. Take pliers, baling twine. Simple. Every farm has baling twine <laughs> yeah. laying everywhere. When in doubt, yeah. um, don't don't cut the wire. Don't don't do that. The farmer is not going to like that. Just tie them together and make sure you do have his permission to do so. He probably wouldn't like seeing that. Um, but just, it's super simple. And, you know, if he doesn't have cattle in that area that time of year, tell him, boom, as soon as the season's done, it's going back up. And, um, golly, it, it works. It works really, really well. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's one of the, uh, it's overlooked. I don't know of anybody that really talks about it, but I know yeah. a lot of people that do it. Well, and it's, and I think if, if anyone's ever, you know, hunted in the cattle country or just an area with a fence and a tree falls across it. And bust a couple strands. Where do the deer walk? Yep. They just walk right through where that tree is falling down at. That's just because they don't have to jump the fence. I mean, I would do the same. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I often think about that. Like, let's say when you go up to a creek, a creek crossing and, or a stream, you always try and find the easiest spot. Yeah. Like, you don't want to fall and break your leg. Or you don't want to just jump and shatter your ankles off the bank. Like I you don't know. Go I, to- I like to jump. I like to challenge myself. <laughs> you well, like the drop and roll. I like to drop and roll, yeah. <laughs> the dive and roll. Yeah. Um, another thing when we're talking about this edge feather, and we've been talking about it in big fields, keep in mind, though, this could be great for those little half-acre fields, even small little kill plots. Oh, yeah. If you're having trouble getting deer, let's say they're not walking through the kill plot, they're walking just behind it, go fall a tree just on the other side and get them to where they cross through the little kill plot. Um, one thing when you're doing edge feathering in small food plots or small openings, one thing to keep in mind is don't box it in to where you've closed off two sides and you're expecting the deer to come in from the one side that's not boxed off to where if a predator comes in, they have to wheel around. You just want to leave it. For me, the always a rule of thumb is if I'm going to edge feather to steer deer, do it on a very small scale and slowly work into it. Don't go in there one year and drop all kinds of trees to where it's like completely change the the area. Do it gradually, and over time you'll get it down perfectly to where you've. It's taken three years, but now you put the deer in your lap every time you go and hunt that. Spot. And and there's no better way. Obviously, you can to tell exactly how deer react to it and what they do outside of hunting. Like hunting scene. It, 
season from a tree stand observation is the best way. You can kind of get an idea maybe from cameras where which direction they're traveling and which direction they're leaving. But hunting observation um, tells you a bunch. So you can do it in season if you if you want. I wouldn't go, oh, I'm going to go edge feather everything this weekend. But start small, start easy, hinge a couple, see how they react, and then go from there. I just think of all those food plots, Matt. You know I've hunted over the years. And you set in the food plot, and let's say it's it's 100 yards to the other end, and it seems like from from our strategy, it's like there's no way we're walking across this field to go up there and hunt. No. How do we bring them closer? I'm fine to meet them halfway because we can – one thing you and I refuse to do is if I'm on a food plot, I don't want to walk in and walk across a food plot. That's okay during daylight. But after dark, I don't want to walk back out across that no food plot. No way. That's, techno, techno. Or even even open pasture. We don't like doing that unless unless there is terrain in that pasture or the large open area that allows us to kind of hide behind a hill and get the heck out. Like, I don't want to be skylined across there, and I don't want to be wide open. I want to be hidden. Yeah, I, I would prefer to be hidden. Now... I'm going to just challenge you on because I'm thinking of a, a comment that came in on Facebook a couple of days ago. Guy was in paddle cattle yeah. <laughs> paddle country. <laughs> he was in cattle country and he asked about walking across his pasture. Now my farm and in a, a lot of farms, pastures are often overgrazed and the let's say the timber's not grazed at all, so it's a lot thicker and that's where the deer hang out. I, at my farm, I'm going to walk the edge of the pasture way more than I walk through the timber just because I'm not going to see deer in the middle of the pasture most of the time. They're almost always in the timber. And, and my, my experiences, and this is, comes from, let's say, cattle farms who don't do any timber work, don't do any food plot work. Basically, it is unmanaged timber or pasture with you know a mixture of clover that the deer mm-hmm. are going to yeah you have food in your in your woods or yeah. you've got food plots so we've really, done a lot you've yeah. got you've got a, your preferred food sources aren't your pastures no in no. some areas it unfortunately it comes yeah. from a pasture yeah. um i pity those people yeah i've been there that was that was early on in my yeah in i've, my I've life, been there too for sure so if that's the case for you then yeah you're probably gonna have to walk through the right. forest i think of like eastern uh Park setting forests yeah. versus and I would I grew up in and around that kind of stuff, so I I learned okay I don't want to walk out here because that's going to be where the deer are going to be at that's yeah. just that's just it. I'm going to loop back up and around and get the heck out of Dodge but again that right there it's a perfect perfect example right there is no clear cut no no it way. all depends on basically in turkey hunting you always say check their temperature it's kind of the same way the farm yeah. check temperature of the farm. Are deer going to the pastures to to graze? To, to graze? Are they going to the pastures to eat some clover because there's no food in the timber? Then you probably can't walk through the pastures. But if they're if they're mainly living in the woods, then walk through the pastures. Yep. Um, so that's just one thing for me is accessing and and cutting. I, I love edge feathering, not just for trying to steer deer, but so many benefits and. So we do that a lot, and, and hopefully you guys follow along in our videos because you're going to get to see more visual stuff, um, visual references of what we're talking about when we're edge feathering. So hope you follow along on that. But um, 
I think that pretty well covers that edge covers, feathering. Yeah. I, I feel pretty confident that you guys have that kind of under grass. But when it comes to – let's just go back to larger fields because this is – to me, this is where – we get this all the time is, you know, a small food plot. When a deer goes in it, they're in range whack. It's over. But when it gets to the bigger stuff, that's when oftentimes it's hard to really pinpoint how to hunt the deer. And this is something that we talked about with Seth. This is something that we're going to start doing even more. Um, for example, we have the two acre cornfield, not really corn. It's corn and everything else that we mm-hmm. had left. We mix together. But what do we do to make it easier to hunt, Matt? hung a stand because there wasn't a stand there ever no no i know i know i'm just saying that that field was never i mean it was this summer cerisa lespedeza and johnson grass johnson grass yeah i guess spring now it's huntable i just i love that like it was a nothing it was overlooked all the time yeah okay to answer your question we completely screened it because of the growth that's in there and then used a bush hog to come in on a very secure area of that field to where we can get in and hunt it and bush hogged an area that is accessible for us, very accessible for the deer, bush hogged it, and then planted a fall crop in that area, in that portion that was bush hogged. So we went from standing grain, or we have standing grain, and it's two-acre field, so it's 90% standing grain still. It still has some soybeans and sunflowers and different stuff mixed in, but it's mainly standing grain. It's not really providing. It served its purpose of forage during the summer. Now it's turned off. It's not very palatable. Now we're looking at the, the milo heads, the millet heads, the corn the cobs, corn. What the soybean the- pods. Um, that's all going to be carbohydrate grain this winter. But now we've taken and we've put this little area that's really palatable forage. And that's the key to early season success is it went from two acres. Now we bottlenecked them down to where they're going to be coming into a, I don't even know if it's a quarter acre, just this little bitty area. And so, and we can enter and access and hunt it effectively. And it's a preferred food source and it's all in range. All within range. So we just took a two-acre field and knew that just by this little tweak that we're going to bring them into range. And and again, I think we've talked about it. We've shared the same phrase or thought before, but it just it can't be overlooked because it's it's just their nature. Deer are creatures of the edge. I've hunted huge fields before, huge fields, and yeah, we we talked about you know deer going out in the center and wrapping up. I think that's for for many reasons, a lot of that hunting pressure and, and so on and so forth. But if I can take a larger field, and I'm talking about, I guess I'm going to reference here later on, property in Delaware that we are on, um, you end up doing the map, so you know which field I'm talking about. It was a five-acre field or so, um, and the deer had these tree stands just pinpointed. They knew exactly where the stands were at. And they knew exactly how to enter that field, walk past out of bow range for both of those stands on the field, and go to a far corner where there was not really disturbance until that person or hunter had to get out and walk around and then they'd migrate back. Like they saw this on a daily basis when they hunted it. How frustrating is that? Oh, I'd be like, all right, call in 
call an airstrike. <laughs> I, we're going to fix this. Yeah. That would drive me nuts. Oh, it's very frustrating. And so, as you prescribed, the recipe for that is to break up that field and create an edge. So, basically, that, that was a square. That, that field was a square. And it's actually kind of a twofold process. It'll tie in the edge feathering um, back into this. So, imagine a square block, five acres. What we did was take from the, the bottom left corner of that square, diagonally across to the top right, we inserted an edge or a hedgerow through there, through that field, just cut it up diagonally across and it wasn't corner to corner there was a gap uh let's say 30 40 yards from each corner so deer could come work in and around that the top end and the bottom end and then along the actual field edges what we did was prescribe edge feathering basically north to south so it would force deer to the south of those edge featherings, which then made Don't them... Don't get confused. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to d- do a diagram with my hands, so I'm not getting confused. So they go south of the south of the edge feathering, which led them to go south of the hedgerow in the bottom left corner. And then the same thing in the top right, there's edge feathering. And then that forced them to go around the hedgerow in the open field. But remember, that's a 30, 40 yard gap. And that's where the stands were. We knew that deer were going to go come out where they, you know, wanted to. But by that barrier across the field and the edge feathering, now we said, actually, we're in control. We're going to tell you, you can go here and we're going to have a stand here because we can get in and out easier. And then we can have a stand back over here, this other corner that we can loop up and around to. And, and then now we've blocked it off virtually they're not going to come across, feed through the middle of the field, and go that back corner anymore because there's a, a larger barrier. We've necked it down and forced them, or strongly encouraged, because of the edge feathering around the field, to come out in these specific areas. And that's a that's a twofold. Okay, we broke up that big field with that hedge, and then we feathered the edge to basically one two punch them back into range. And everybody's asking what kind of plants we plant whatever's native to that area it could be hawthorns or it could be yeah what did what did laddie plant laddie planted a bunch of what was it hazelnuts hazel he had okay he had hazelnut he had um allegheny chestnut he had elderberry everywhere that he he loved those for for screened elderberries um he planted of course multiple um you know there's there's all kinds of different Yeah. Things you can use. Basically, just want it thick to where a deer doesn't want to walk through and there. I don't. I don't want to for see the, it. For just please, see through please, it. please, please. If you pick up anything from this <laughs> podcast, don't plant autumn olive for this head. So, yeah, don't the, do that. The, please don't. And and okay, for the fact that it's a non-native and it's very invasive, um, it makes a good hedge. That's but why don't I'm do saying it. Don't do it because I remember there was a time when I was a kid. We have a spot on the gravel road where. Um, People drive by and you can see all the way through the woods. And my brother and I actually were like, what can we plant there? And we had autumn olives in our yard. And we're like, mm-hmm. we could plant autumn olives. Those would make a really good hedge. Thankfully, we didn't do it. Um, and because of that, we started in the yard. We noticed how it started spreading. So we got rid of the autumn olive, by the way. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's another thing. Just add a hedge, bust up that field. Instead of making a five-acre field, make it... A, Two two or two two and a half acre fields, 
And uh, that's just other ways you could – another thing you can do to steer deer. Yeah, and, uh, and basically in, in the two and a half acres, because of the shape now, it's a triangle, that the very center, just by the nature of a triangle, um, you have a lot more edge that you can be able to shoot into the center, and it's a lot more um, more in range, I guess, just by the yeah. shape of it. And and the two and a half acres, the size, the shape and size of it allows you really a deer would have to walk a really really good line every single time to to basically be out of range from the stand locations like in around those possible trying to go through those <laughs> yeah. lasers. Yeah, it'd be like okay, he's he's sixty yards and he stays at sixty yards the entire time. You're like, yeah. dang it. <laughs> Another thing, um, kind of build upon that is screening. Now this is something that is very important to us in pretty much everything we do with food plots. It's, this is where we're talking screens for food plots is trying to, if, if you're going up the edge of the food plot, 50 yards to, to hunt. And instead of just walking the edge in plain sight and screen it, that's, this is where we plant these screens. Now we actually, if you follow along, you know, in our, our spring food plot mix, a lot of the stuff that's great screening, or our, they grow so tall that we pretty much plant the whole food plot, and then we just don't have to plant. When we come back and plant our fall food plots, we just leave the edge, um, the, <laughs> the the edge of the food plot. Yeah, is really basically do. still just leaving the screen. So our entire food plot is basically a screen during the summer months, and then we come back and we plant the center or the the majority of it's in a fall plot that's a lot smaller. So we knock all that. I mean, tall it's, stuff it's a down. Maybe an eight, ten foot wide strip that's yeah. left to screen the plot from maybe, maybe where you know, a road goes by or whatever. Um, but the majority is fall fall food plot. It yes. just kind of doubles by nature. Yeah. yeah, and so exactly by nature, it's it's doubled as a it's a spring food plot, summer food plot, but then it also serves as a screen during the fall months. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, another thing. It's very simple. It's very easy. But just to help yourself be a little more secretive about your movements on the property is by screening your access points uh, and screening a lot of places and and it's kind of on my farm we deal with it a lot um, trying to f- lay out these screens or find ways um, like yesterday mm-hmm. yesterday we walked in and we hung that new set and this is an example of a perennial or a native screen is did you notice while we were walking in how tall everything was around us? We oh, were yeah. hidden the entire time. Yeah. And we watched those two those two deer feed right up to the east. And we got down right after that. And even though we, once we got on the ground, I was like, huh, they're never going to see us because no. it's 10-foot tall stuff in between us. Oh, yeah. And so just by letting stuff grow up or planting stuff, whether it's an annual that you planted, a perennial, maybe it's a... Uh, I think of uh, in Iowa, I've seen a lot of people plant switchgrass. Yeah, yeah. Um, switchgrass is a great thing to plant for screens. Any kind of way you, you can screen to hide yourself, so where you're not silhouetted or deer are seeing you walk the edge of a food plot out or edge of a field is a huge benefit to you. Correct. And, and sometimes that's not even as far as maybe you don't even have to plant anything. Maybe you just not plant. Yeah. Maybe you just let giant ragweed grow up, and instead of bush hogging it down, you just let it stay tall, and you run a bush hog and run one little trail through it that you can walk on, and that's it. And this takes me back to that Delaware property. Um, another large field that the gentleman had on the place, it was just a, it was a probably eight-acre 
um, wide open place. It was a crop field originally that he, he eventually screened off and the farmer left a couple rows of corn standing um, to help, you know, for additional screen. <clears throat> but the field was just a massive eight acres. Like they had no way to hunt but one one stand and the other ones were way too hard to enter and exit from because there was only one screen around it. So what we ended up doing and prescribing was a screen basically we bumped we dropped the field size down so we could have an adequate screen an adequate edge an adequate edge feathering and increased the ability for you to go loop up and around the actual area that was planted from or you know from the ed- field edges and loop and get in and out like you you not every opening, I think this is a common misconception, not every opening needs to be 100% food, nor does every opening need to be food, period. Like, it could serve as a bedding area. And we're talking, I think that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. But I actually had that <clears throat> thought. When I was toying ideas in the stand tonight, it was kind of like, we need to talk a lot about, um, we need to talk a lot about food plots. And like, oftentimes it's like, I need more food on the farm. I need to plant more food plots. And it's like, no, if you're relying on your food plots to feed your deer, you're lacking in your habitat. Yeah. And yeah. so this is another way. I think of the in this leaving the edge and let the edge grow up. I think of the government program. I cannot remember it for the life of me right now, brain fart, but mm-hmm. um, to where it's pollinator strips. Yeah. And they're letting it, and they're planting pollinator strips for the monarchs and all the other honeybees or whatever. And that's that's growing up nice and tall. And then you you do some edge feathering. Now we've that don't even get me started. That makes me all sorts of giddy to see pollinator <laughs> strips and edge feathering and then leading into thinned woods. Oh, it just right. uh, whew, it, it gets me going. So anyway, that's another way. Just screening. Very simple, easy to do. Plant it every year, plant a perennial to where you plant it once and maintain it a little bit and you have great way to conceal your movements. Yes, and realize that okay, you can't do those right now, but you know, in in within a year you can have you can plant something that, you know, if you're thinking ahead for next year, in the springtime you can plant something that you have an absolute great knockout screen for next year. Yes. And a perennial, if it's one of those areas that you know you're going to have a food plot in all the time or you know you're going to drive past this opening, crop field, whatever it is that to get in and out, there's some properties that just don't have a great road system or access around the backside, just go ahead and just bite the bullet, pull it, put in perennial screen um of trees we've done pines those work great in some areas different varieties of pines um and plant it and just move on know that you're doing excellent for access and hunting strategy another thing and and this isn't even on our notes so matt you brace yourself (sighs) off you know how you guys have obviously heard by now that we like planting diversity and so when it comes to planting food plots if you look out there in our food plots, some of them, uh, I think of the cornfield, it's a jungle. And it, and next year we're talking about adding more cowpeas to the mix, which when I worked for the MDC, we, we planted soybeans, cowpeas, and corn together. And that turned into an absolute jungle to where it was almost like a field of kudzu, it looked like. Yeah. yeah. Kudzu that only grew Creeping and crawling. eight foot tall because mm-hmm. there was just corn that grew up and then vines all over it. And... A deer doesn't really want to walk through that, but it's great food. Mm-hmm. And so it was, since it was conservationary, we didn't do this, but a way we could have done that on our own place is bush hog out little half acre spots throughout the winter. 
Another thing we could do is, and this is going into the next part of this, and this goes for taller fields, old fields, CRP fields, whatever it is, fields that are grown up, that the deer feel safe, deer are in them, but we want to try and direct them and steer the deer to certain portions of that field. You could go in and just bush hog one trail right through it. Oh, it's so simple. You just run the bush hog through it, and I think of some of those fields, even even when soybeans get up chest high, and so now they're just tangled and there's pods everywhere and it's winter, and you're like, man, even the deer don't really like to walk out through that. Watch. You, Watch the browse line completely change from the field edge to now they're going to be feeding off that bush hog line and spreading out from there. Yes, and that's just another thing you do in the in the soybean field. Just run one bush hog pass through. Make sure that bush hog pass goes by your stand. Yeah, no kidding. And and the same thing in the stand where we were at last night. We're talking ragweeds up chest high in places and broom's edge and all kinds of other stuff. We're just going to run a bush hog through there one pass and go in front of the camera spot by the mock scrape and by the stand to where when a deer gets out there in that field, it automatically just shoots over to that trail to walk through it. Yep. And that's just a simple, super easy thing you can do this time of year in those CRP fields, bedding areas where you're like, well, I wish there was a way I could bring them by. That is a very simple way you can do it. Mow a strip. Don't overlook it. Just hop on the tractor and go out there and, and, and do it. Plan ahead because they will use it. Make sure when you drop the blade on the bush hog that it's where you want it because um, they definitely will use it. Yeah, and don't get crazy with that bush hog. That would not be good to bush hog the whole field. Yeah. Just one pass. It's they, easy they for you to. Still got to have that security. Yes, um, because you could destroy it if you bush hog the whole field. Now, the next one's for all you cattle guys. And you, and you see this, like you go out on my farm, there's hay bales. Seems like everywhere. And the one reason why I thought of this is the other night I was driving out and I'm like, I can hear something coming up in the field. And I looked down, I was getting ready to close the gate and I looked 50 yards south or north and out steps around the edge of the hay bales, a nice little three and a half year old buck. And it's like, wow, I, I didn't even know deer crossed there much. He was headed out. He was cutting across. I don't know what he was doing, but, um, that's another thing you can do to steer deer is hay bales. Stack those hay bales up or line those hay bales up, whatever you got to do. So it's really similar to that feathered edge. Yeah. Basically, it's, that idea, it's building a, a fence, a yeah. big old fence a real quickly. Right. Just with hay bales. And they're so natural. Deer don't think about them um, being, you know, of danger if they just show up one day, well, shoot, they just show up one day all of a sudden all the time in various places. So, you know, it's not gonna, you know, completely change a, I guess, a pattern of the deer showing up to that field or that area. It's just going to divert them to continue using it, but continue using it in an area that's in your favor. Yeah. We're going to do this in the coming weeks, probably on a, and one of the fields on the farm is, Instead of stacking the bales or putting the bales on, on another portion of the farm where it really does us no good, we're going to start stacking them in areas where the hay bales, of course, are benefiting us because of the cattle. But now they're going to benefit us because of, because of the deer because it's going to help steer the deer. And so we have this middle field, we call it, real creative name. Yeah. And Guess where it's at. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's probably, I don't know, 200 yards long. But deer really cross, they cross this field. Um, well, this is one of the fields we're actually going to plant wheat, even though it's a pasture. 
And so deer are going to start coming into it more. It's already a natural crossing. But we're going to send hay bales out in it to where we bottleneck them down to where they have basically 100 yards to cross. Mm-hmm. And But knowing how the deer travel, they're really going to come out just this one end of the hay bales. So that's going to be a perfect place for redneck hay bale blind. Oh, yeah. No and it's just <laughs> it, it's going to be thing. stupid. It, they, they blend in perfect. You can set it up right up against one, and it's just automatic, basically. Um, and guess what? Uh, for cattle oh, country, you can't beat that thing. No, it, it's so easy. On the way in, we're going to walk on the north side, and on the way out, yep. we'll walk on the south side. And then there's your there's your screen getting out. Yep. Perfect. Done. Easy. Done. Out of here. And I think that's... Do you got anything else you want to add, Matt? <laughs> this This goes back to the... Again, the overall nature of of deer. Um, it's just keeping in mind as you're laying things out that deer are creatures of habit, and the fact that they are they prefer a path of least resistance. If you can continue in what you do, you know, analyzing the the topography, the features, the a dropping a tree in this area versus you know in this direction maybe versus another direction. That deer, again, are that lazy. They prefer what they prefer, and they can be changed, though. You know, I think that is something to, to definitely keep in mind. Even though that, you know, they're taken this way right now, that can be changed. Keep that principle in mind. But to me, you I can, think that's... You, you have the power. Yeah. Honestly. And these, these are the different tools in the toolbox to utilize that power and say, actually, deer... I prefer you to go here. You can do that. You know, it's going to be a whole lot easier on me, Mr. Buck, if you do this instead yeah, of that. Exactly. Exactly. And now, if you team that up with last week, and we talked about it last week, <sighs> we team these techniques up that we talked about this week with last week's with terrain, and we use them both in our advantage. We can bottleneck deer so easily. It's, and, it's not funny. Because but, terrain in itself and the features that we talked about last week are already bottlenecking deer down throughout a property. Yeah. And then if we couple that with great habitat as we concentrate deer in certain bedding areas, concentrate them in feeding areas, and then as they transition, the terrain works to our advantage or it worked because of the because where we've placed everything, it works to our advantage to be able to intercept the deer because of those bottlenecks. And then we we take on another leg of of management or property architecture and utilize these small techniques you've got yourself a property that not only has incredible habitat but has habitat that is conducive to hunting i think that's that's i love habitat like i i love learning about it i love trying to manage it understanding it in all different facets north south east west whatever but what is awesome is when you can hunt it effectively. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, that's so much fun mm-hmm. because then you, you're not only dotting your I's, but you're crossing your T's too because you've taken, let's say, a property from zero and then you trans, you know, you do the transformation, you got great habitat, and then you take it to hero when you start killing. Like, you, you've improved ugh. the habitat, so there's more animals on it, but now there's more animals. For you to hunt, but then you've taken these techniques and you've made it to where you can successfully harvest these animals and put meat on the table. It's just like 
It's I've incredible. Done, I've done. I'm going to give myself an attaboy. Yeah. Hey, here's to me. Here's a pat yeah. on the back. Yeah. And to me, it's just what that. that I, it's, I, and, I don't know if I dare say it, but I I honestly enjoy the habitat more than hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the habitat, if the habitat wasn't there, I wouldn't get to have hunting. Yeah. Um, Again, addressing the source. It just yes. goes back to okay. Here's the issue. I don't have the right resources on my property, but let me now create the right resources and then manage the right them in the right way and then hunt them effectively. Yes, absolutely. And and I think, I hope that it's, everybody it's like, got... It's like work comes before play. Yeah. Yeah. But the play is, the work is play for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, and there's a lo- so many other people out there, hopefully everyone who's listening, who uh, feels... Feels the same way, and I think the work makes the play much better. Yeah, the reward is so sweet when it all just comes together. I hope you know there's a lot of guys, and there's nothing wrong with it, but a lot of people that are just focused on the hunting oh, and no. not necessarily that, the habitat. Not that, trying to take away anything no. from that. If that's what you enjoy about it, absolutely. But I challenge you to to you know what if if you just like hunting, you say you don't like habitat, reach out to us. I would love to show you. You can come on down the farm, and we'll drive you around. I promise you, by the time you leave, you'll be excited about habitat. Yeah. And, you, you, and that's just the thing. I think a lot of people, if if you're not excited about habitat, you don't care. Um, I don't think you, you've seen it through through the same glasses that we're wearing. Yeah. Because if fair. you do, I think, it's, I, I think you'd love it just as much as we do. And I think that pretty well wraps up this week. I, I think um, so. Hopefully, you guys take some of these techniques, strategies... And you can use them this fall. Hopefully, you can harvest some deer. Become um, an architecture. Architect. 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 <laughs> it's yeah. about late. <laughs> yeah. Or come an architecture. I don't know if it's ever that late to say to... Hey. Become an fun. architecture, people. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Architect. I hope you guys are... Uh, and Deer wow. season's opened up pretty much across the country now, I think. Um, October yeah. 1 is kind of the last bit. So, I, I, say, I hope that everybody's getting out there and, and enjoying this wonderful gift from God that we have um, in the outdoors. And continue to improve it. Continue to make it better. And uh, most importantly, or just as importantly... Introduce new people to it. Get some new kids out there. And invite your coworker that's never been hunting, doesn't know what it's all about, and he makes fun of you at work because you're headed to the woods to, to, to wear dopey and put face paint on. <laughs> that's what they all say. Invite that guy out there. Find a way to get him involved because I promise you, I think he'll love it too. So No doubt. Yeah, I encourage every single listener out there to invite somebody new. It's like I always think of going to church growing up, and it was always invite somebody to church. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like, well, you invite the same guy. <laughs> I don't know if, I mean, when you invite the same guy every time, he already goes to a church somewhere else. That's Let's do something doesn't different. Doesn't, let's doesn't go get count. somebody different. So get somebody that's never been. Oh, yeah. Matt, final thoughts? Just do it. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. That's his Nike slogan of the day, and appreciate you guys for joining in on another Fantastic podcast, Land and Legacy, and we hope to see you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there. We're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a 
caretaker, gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? 